I'm Kate Daniels. I am deeply honored to meet and to share with you a conversation with a great woman in history, Dr. Melba Patillo Beals. I'm just learning who she is and about her amazing life, but I think most of us saw her in a historic photo. That's the Little Rock Nine, the nine brave black students who took on the mantle, federally mandated, to desegregate a high school in Little Rock, Arkansas. Dr. Beals joins us to talk about her young years and her new memoir, March Forward Girl. Dr. Melba Patillo Beals, good morning. Thank you so greatly for being with us today. My pleasure, my blessing. And that is such a wonderful way to phrase that. And one of your new recent books, March Forward Girl Blessings, certainly makes its appearance so many times. But uh, perhaps I'm getting a, a little ahead of myself. In this memoir, it's your younger years that you are sharing. And, and I discovered that March Forward Girl was actually your grandmother's uh, kind of encouragement or admonition to you. Just March Forward Girl. Yes, if I w- did something or complained about anything as a child, she merely said, hey, march forward now, and don't, don't complain. We don't have time to complain. We don't have to say anything or do anything that will uh, halt your motion forward. We really don't have time to lackadaisically uh, list our concerns at this point. Whereas they were important and we have to pay attention to them, they can't be the fuel that moves us in any direction. We have to accomplish the goals with particular attention to which of these goals might be what God had in store for us. So um, she was just really stern. Don't sit around lamenting. Get with the program. She certainly seemed like such a wonderful grandmother, a great role model. Of course, your mother was too, but your grandmother was really in that role of being uh, with you more of the time because your mother was working. Yeah, my mother was teaching, going to school, that kind of thing. Yes. She was an English teacher, and she was also getting uh, her master's and her doctorate degree. So again... And so that, you know, took up most of the time. And and what an incredible role model again. So it's in that way, it's no surprise that you were the inquisitive, questioning, wondering child, but but deeply impacted by by all the life around you. And and, and what we need to mention, of course, you grew grew up in the forties and into the fifties. Those that was your youth and teen years. And my goodness, but those I, you know, I think we have just this kind of overview awareness of history, but in March Forward Girl, giving us the details of what happened in your life, Melba, I, you know, it it would just stop me, take my breath away. And I think you are giving us a great gift in having written this for us. I hope that it, you know, this is the Jim Crow era. Leave us not forget this, because there are those who presently would have us go back to it. And I don't, I don't know any minority at this point who would revert back to it. Uh, you know, I just don't know. And so, therefore, to want to go back to us is just not going to work. I don't know anybody who's going backwards. And it, to try and send us backwards will cause violence. It's best for us all to move forward in a collective love love fest rather than uh, going backwards and fight about it. And perhaps that's where the 
the real importance and value of March Forward Girl is so that we understand just how how absolutely horrific life was that anyone who uh, we don't want to go back there but then reading this we understand we absolutely without any question don't want to allow any kind of a uh, a crack in the wall to let us ever move back that way no 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 yeah and people believe that's possible well that's why we need to have these conversations why this book even though it's written for for youth for a junior audience march forward girl really uh as you said actually uh with your book warriors don't cry that was that came out in the late 90s the same thing happened it was for youth but parents and and adults really wanted to read it they really wanted to read it because it's a minute by minute very very uh detailed account of my experience of going to Central High School. And all the critics that looked at it said it was tantamount to understanding that process, what we paid and how much of our life that thing sucked in because it it, it absolutely changed the format of our family, of the course of our growing up. Uh, Some people would uh, suffer permanent illnesses from it. Some would die as a result of it. And so it had a lot of influence rather negative or positive in all of our lives. And, you know, that too, I don't remember it exactly, but I remember reading about it, certainly in more recent years, uh, the Little Rock Nine, uh, the anniversary of that time was in the news. And yet we had, I, I don't think anyone really knew, unless you were there in that community, how horrific it truly was, what that was like for you. Maybe you could take a moment or 10 and and really express to us how that was for you, Melba. Um, It was, um, it turned you upside down because as a human being who's uh, 14 years of age, there is no expectation that this is going to be your fate. This is going to be how you live. This is going to be what is going to happen to you. And so you just don't, there's no space in your head for it. You said, what? You said, you want to kill me? Well, you know, I'm 14 years of age. I don't totally know what death is, nor do I totally know why you want to, nor do I totally understand any legitimacy in your desire, nor do I know how to fight you back. Yes. Take away my existence. You take it away. And so I'm like, okay, ouch, and wow, just ouch and wow. And at first it just stunned you, and you're, you know, I got such stomach aches, and there was a point in December when I had to be intravenously fed. I couldn't eat hold down food or anything because it was so startling to me. I was just stuck and fearful. And I remember spewing this out to Dr. Martin Luther King and having him tell me a statement that would begin to guide my life and certainly mature me enough to understand, which was, Melba, don't be selfish. You're not doing this for yourself. You're doing this for generations yet unborn. And he sort of put a focus on it, you know. Yes. And it was really helpful. Uh, But also I hated that statement in the beginning. But I had to think about it day after day after day. And it it really was helpful in forming why am I here and what am I doing and maybe I ought not to do this. 
So it was obvious you could not have a childhood. You lived in such great fear, even as a very young girl. And the teenage years, high school, which anyone would be looking forward to, and you too thought, I am dreaming of that high school, and yet it was so filled with pain. It it was going to be what your grandmother said in God's time. It, all of this was going to transform, but not in a day, in a week, even in a month, was that going to change? You really going to happen, yeah. and, and I didn't know that. And to this day, it's been surprising to me that there's a three steps forward and 22 steps backwards and three steps forward and two steps forward and then two back, and, you know, it just doesn't happen the way it's not goes forward in a straight line. It doesn't happen that way. Mm-hmm. You, you, you have to express something and you move forward and then you learn about how you should have moved forward and then you have to digest moving forward, cook it and make a stew of it and then it works. And certainly when you look back and we are able to look back into your past, we can definitely see that phrase that uh, maybe you were wanting to be selfish, but you sure weren't when you gave up so much, when you did when you were part of the Little Rock Nine that integrated Central High School and actually were able to spend, well, only part of the year there, really, right? Right, but it's okay. It did what it was supposed to do. It lit a match, yeah. and that's what we needed to do at that point. And one of the things I think about is uh, now, as older, as an older educator who's taught both in high school, elementary school, and college, I was thinking about this to my colleague, Dr. Roberts, uh, who's also been a professor, and we said, if only we had known then that desegregation is not, is not integration. Interesting. Desegregation is not. Desegregation is sitting two people in a room, which we basically did at, at Central High. We sat two different races of people in a room, but that did not mean that they were integrated in patterns of thought and caring. Yes. So first you bring these people together, but you have to come up with programs, activities, and projects that integrate and make them know each other, know each other's value, and work together. And that part we didn't understand. We began to understand it now, and teachers began to work with it somewhat, but it has to be done because there are many schools in this country that are desegregated, but they're not integrated. And I think, you know, certainly it's happening at the adult level, too. We're the ones that still need more and more educating. And I know here in the um, in Western Washington, uh, we certainly are having more educational programs on race and social justice. We are still grappling with this. But I, I feel, do you feel that in this way, we are getting that education so we can have the integration so we're not... Uh, yes, we yeah. just didn't know this step was here, but the step is here, dear Lord. And we're learning what it is. Mm-hmm. We're learning that, you know, I you can put me in a room with you all day unless I want to know you, feel that you have some value, want to work with you, uh, know where you came from, know what food you eat, who you worship. Uh, and and how do you worship them? I have a friend called Dr. Suresh Apavu, who is, is highly educated in diversity and does some very interesting programs is accredited with integrating several uh, instances, institutions. 
And, and one of the things he insists upon is having these festivals where people bring many different kinds of food, and they do nothing but taste each other's foods, and they experience each other's religion. Well, okay, so what is Buddhism like, and what is that about, and why do you choose that? So it can't be that you, you, you each stand there with your set of habits and characteristics, and you don't need to know anything about each other as you do. And there are discussions in his, in his uh, you know, uh, look at how you do it. There are discussions, and I've utilized uh, his materials, and I have developed some of my own. I've developed a program at the university where I did uh, teach before, uh, just retired there in 2014, uh, something called Torch, where I bring uh, students. I found students were being kicked out of college because they really were... Um, not accustomed to what is college. Their mama didn't go, their papa didn't go. I mean, what is this? So you had to start with stuff like, this is where you do your wash. This is where the president's office is. And what does the president do? And then I had a whole day on nothing but how you keep your notebook, how you write an email. Let us learn the name of our teacher. Let us look at any document which is meant to tell us the content of this course and what we're going to do. All right? Yes. Let's not enter a course and then don't keep the plastic around our books for the next six months. Can we open the book and look at it and read it before class starts? And so that program has emerged and grown and multiplied with the help of others uh, to be something spectacular because it was discovered that these students that you bring up out of the ghetto or that you bring from someplace else, even another country, another culture. And then you say, okay, well, they're going to come to our university. Yeah, they're coming. But the first question is, where do I do my wash? What do you mean I can't stay up late at night? Why can't I have my boyfriend to this um, this particular room? You know, why, why can't I bring my this, that, or the other on campus and just you know, lived well. No, you know, you have to teach people the expected rules for civility in living as a college student. And the same thing goes for uh, real diversity. There are rules. And one of them is, can you have some respect for who I am? Can you understand who I am? Can you know why I eat watermelon? Can you know why I fry my chicken? Can you understand that we ate sweet potatoes because they were a cheap way of eating as slaves, can you know what neck bones are because we couldn't afford the meat in the grocery store, you know? Yes. And so that kind of knowledge is a blending kind of knowledge. And in that kind of an education and an awareness rather than really, I think, when we look back at it, the people that react to that and, and are so negative and hateful, it's, that's rooted in fear, isn't it? Oh, well, it's rooted in fear and lack of knowledge. If I don't know who you are, and the rumor my, my friends and mother and aunt and things said were that uh, you were a true nothing. You smell, you're an animal. Uh, you're you're not at all bright as I am. You don't have the same desires as I do. Your home habits, your church habits, are below, are different than mine, and I don't understand them, then we, we get a problem, don't we? Yes. I'm not going to respect you. I don't want to be with you. And then the, one of the greatest fears at Central High School was that we wanted to marry one of those people. I don't want to marry you. I don't know who you are. 
I'm not here to get married. You know what I'm saying? Yes. I'm 15 years of age and entering Central High School. Am I? No, I don't. I'm not ready for, to get married. Nor do I want to date you. Uh, I don't want to necessarily be your friend. Can we just get acquainted first? I mean, I choose you as a friend. The order here, or the need here, in a, in the first of a format, is to know who you are. I just want to know, for example, how your house is decorated and. What, what gods you worship and what you may eat for a meal and basics. Yes. And so that's the reason my colleague, Mr. Pavu, has these fairs where he says one thing, come eat with me. Then he'll do come worship with me. You know, yeah. this is how I worship. And do you see validity in this? Do you see why? And so those kinds of things help that word integration become a reality. And this is where we have an opportunity to really begin to understand it from a story. From stories, from personal stories, we learn so greatly. And from March Forward Girl to read what you experienced, as I mentioned earlier, from a very young age, from age three, you already had that sense well, about Well, you know, you. the thing is that one of the things I noticed at age three, that's a very, uh, I, I think of myself as a child, I wouldn't want to raise me because I was not only psychic, but very much attentive to what was going on around me and very grown up in my thought. And I remember saying to my parents, you know, um, why does this have to be? They would be very intelligent, articulate. My mom was a teacher. My father was from an educated family. And my grandmother read Shakespeare in the evening after working all day for a dollar a day in White Lady's Kitchen. But at my house, the discourse was 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 intellectual of the news, what's happening, did you read the paper, blah, blah. And yet when we would, you know, drop in the local grocery store around the block, two blocks away it was, my parents would become clucking idiots. They would kowtow, yes, no, sir, yes, ma'am. Uh, their English would change. They would bow. They would just become something I didn't recognize. And we would be standing in line to check our groceries out, and some white person would come right up and step in front. And I'm like, tell those people to move. I, I don't want to be in here all day. I want to go home. It's going to be nighttime. It's cold. I want to go home, light a fire, uh, and read. I don't want to be here all evening trying to get one meat for dinner. And we couldn't touch anything in the store. If Grandma wanted, like, a can of baking powder, she had to point, and the clerk would put his hand on it, because the notion was that if anybody black put their hand on any groceries, nobody else was going to buy them, see? Oh. So this was stinko to me, because I said, look... Um, where did we come from, and, and what set all this up, and, and why are we these people? And every single day of my life, they said, God loves us all equal. And I said, look, you know what? Tell them that they were in charge Jan to June. I'm taking over July to December. If God loves us equally, show me. Show me why they're in charge and we're not, okay? I'm going to, I want to be shown. I'm tired of this kowtowing. I'm tired of all of that. I'm, I want it to be my way as well. I, I don't want to beg to get on your bus, beg to drink at your water fountain. I don't want any of that. I want to be, you say I'm God's perfect child. My grandmother would tell me all the time, God loves you. Is your picture on the refrigerator. 
on his refrigerator in heaven is your picture. He's looking at that, and he's loving you, and we're all loved equally. Okay? And so I wanted these people to change, you know, and I want it now. You know? <laughs> yes. Not later, but now. And I asked my mom, I said, okay, where did that come from? Uh, and she said, the stork brought you. Uh, and I said, well, alrighty then. And I got my son hat and I went some, you know, and I sat with my red wagon in front of the house. I was four at the time and I waited for the stork to come overhead again because I knew he had to bring other babies. And I thought, well, while you're here, boo, I'm going to put my hand up and I'm going to flag my way out of here. You know, there was something so precious about the way that you wrote that and that you were feeling that. But on the other hand, just the pain of it that, you know, this this is just so awful. This isn't the way it's supposed to be. Yeah, there was that greater sense of awareness. Well, I certainly was aware of what was going on. Uh, I, I, I don't think I could, like, overlook it and bury it. And so I, I was, like, all the time... To me, it was an environment of hatred. I felt the hatred. I could feel it like you feel the cold when you step outside or when you step outside the heat engulf you. I felt it, and it broke my heart because I knew all these people thought me to be less than. And I knew I wasn't less than because if you're going to put all that God in me and tell me that God loves me, then let's go with that. He doesn't love me as a half-baked character. He loves me the way I am, and he loves my brown skin. Yes. You told me that as my parent. You said he loves you the way you are. And my grandmother, when we were three and four, used to take my brother and me to the double-deck ice cream shop downtown. And she would say, see the chocolate ice cream? See the vanilla? See the strawberry? Well, all those flavors are loved by God. And all flavors of people are loved by God. Chocolate, strawberry, whatever color you are, what hair you have, it's all God's doing. And so don't tell me that in one breath. And then the next breath say, okay, now we're going to go over here to this store and we're going to kowtow and crawl like snakes to try to get in the door, just to slither beneath the door, hoping they won't see us. We were like invisible Animals treated terribly, and I I didn't appreciate it. It was just, again, horrific, the way you were treated. And you had this dream. I found that interesting. A, a relative had come from California and mentioned California and what it was like. You had the yeah. dream to go there, and, and the dream came true. I felt I have lived my entire life, adult life here. Uh, when I was 16... Uh, during the year that, you know, we went to Central High School one year. The next year, the governor closed the school. And it was during that year that um, I had a relative who was passing for white. And actually, a member of the Klan called up and told my parents, they're serious, get her out of there. Because they had these posters all over Little Rock saying 10,000 dead, 5,000 alive. And so uh, my parents slammed my clothes into a suitcase. and They were sewing for me all night, and they got me packed up and sent me out. And the NAACP had chosen these places first to go, and mine was California, San Francisco, California. I ended up living with a white family 
Quakers, Dr. and Mrs. George McKay, wonderful, wonderful people. When I travel and speak, people say, oh, my gosh, you must just hate white people. And I say, nope, not at all. My parents were white. I had a double set of parents. My white parents were fantastic. And I think... And they loved me and I loved them. And more than anything else, they made me feel equal and feel loved. And just like my mother had said to me, you are equal. You don't wait for somebody to bestow that on you. My grandmother would say, despite the fact that you can't sit in the front of the bus, you are equal. Because you're equal in God's eyes. And that's what is the only thing that counts. Well, I'm going a little bit more than that. I want it proof, you know. <laughs> well, and that's what causes the uh, exploration and moving forward and, and getting things done. It's just that it does happen in God's time, not in our timing, because when you look it back, does. what ha- when you look at your life, what important steps were taken. It's taken a, a lifetime to have it happen, and uh, and we need to, with what we're learning from you and the insights we have, Dr. Beals, we need to really embrace this so we can keep moving forward. It's the only way out, and I, um, I was writing this book so people would feel what it feels like to be treated with oppression, so don't do that. Let's not do that. And to to tell all the children who wait, believing that they are rated as less than, that they're not. God loves you, too. Yes. You are loved by your God, not by mine. I'm not proselytizing. I'm not trying to enlist people for church. To go to my church, find one of your own that you like. But whoever you are, wherever you are, wherever you come from, you're loved by your own God, and you need to understand that people should not, cannot, and must not withhold from you opportunity which is meant to be yours. And sometimes situations arise where you need to show them that and demonstrate your understanding that you are already free. You are already equal. This is such an important work, an important book for all of us to read. So it is quite new. We can find it at all of our favorite book sources. So seek those out and get your own copy. Share it with the whole family. Share it with your friends. Get them to get their own copy. And we can find out more about your work and about you and other books that you've written. We touched on Warriors Don't Cry. And you also, um, just this early year, you've uh, had come out, I'm Not Afraid. Right, Dr. Beals? Well, that book summarizes my entire life, all 76 years of it, and why I know for certain there is a God. People believe, for example, in the beginning, that there will be a a whole choir of angels above and, uh, you know, an orchestra when God blesses you with a special uh, something, you know, when he answers your prayer or whatever, but it's not how it happens. It happens very quietly and very shortly. People say, well, that's a coincidence. No, it's not a coincidence. I needed something desperately, and it came along in God's way. And I've learned, just like when I was at Central High School trying to escape the mob, I thought, the police aren't going to help. How are you going to get us out of this, God? That first day we went to school, we were surrounded by a mob that was chasing us. And I said, well, how are you going to get us out of this, God? And that was the first time I did what Grandma said. I felt my right cheek, and I knew 
that she was right. God was there with us. He's here all the time. And we were being chased down the street, and I was thinking, that's it, they're going to get us. And all of a sudden, there was just this branch lying across the unpaved sidewalk. My mother and I went around either end of it, but the men who were directly behind us, holding some of them baseball bats in their hands, the others had ropes that circled their arm and went beneath the arm. You know, yes. boys and gentlemen and men who were ready to do business. And it was that little bush in the road. They tumbled. We went around it. They tumbled. Giving us thus enough time to get in the car and get away. Yes. And I thought, wow, God doesn't come the way you speculate he should. He comes in his own time in his own way. <laughs> yes. And I think that is just such a, a perfect story that uh, we end on as our time just has too quickly gone by. But I so appreciate that you have taken this much time with us this morning, Dr. Melba Patillo-Beals. It's just been so insightful. I can't tell you how much I appreciate the work that you do, and I trust that your words are inspiring so many hearts and minds this morning. I appreciate the work that you do. It's been my blessing to be with you to discuss these items that are so important to us, to all of us in this time. So thank you very much. You're so greatly welcome. And you can find out more about Dr. Beals at her website, her name, Melba, M-E-L-B-A, Patillo, P-A-T-I-L-L-O, Beals, B-E-A-L-S dot com.